Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's another week, a new week of Cinematics. This is episode 214. I'm joined by my betters, Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. We have some pretty interesting I would say big news this week, and maybe Bruce Berkey and Eric Holmes can help me steer the course regarding what to say for our intro. First off, Bruce Perky, how was your last week? What have you been up to? I'm, I'm changing course now. I said, we're not going to have any kind of personality. We're going to be sort of a Dick Wolf law and order procedural where we just talk about movies. But I think a personal touch will do. Can you get a little bit personal within your last week on what you've been up to? Are you going to drop in a big boom, boom every time I say something so that it helps kind of give it that impact? <laughs> Dick Wolf and his minions might, might sue us, but something close to that I might drop. So we just have to change the tone slightly. Boom, boom. Yeah, there we go. All <laughs> yeah, right. <there> go. Uh, <laughs> good idea. Oh, it's been a, a pretty good week. I mean, you know, Halloween and all that stuff, but we didn't do a ton in our house. We did some pumpkin carving and uh, the kids were very, very excited to go see Five Nights at, Five Nights at Freddy's. So we did that. And uh, we'll talk about that a little later in the episode. And I think Eric also saw it. And I think half of the world saw it. I don't know. I think that it's very high numbers for such a relatively low budget movie. But, you know, we'll get into that a little bit. That's Bruce, about all. Bruce, does evil lurk within whatever pumpkins you carve? Is there any yes. kind of... Can you tell our listeners what that's about? There's evil in your domicile via pumpkin pum, pumpkin carvings? How does that work? Uh, yes. Well, we, we we all had our own pumpkins. So, you know... One of my, my wife did Doug from Up and my, uh, one of my kids did a black cat and my other kid did a Garfield and, and I did the silhouette of the woman with an ax towards her face in Will, where evil lurks, when evil lurks for my pumpkin. I didn't think about it at the time. Like, well, if you've seen that movie, we're not going to get into details, but just the idea that that's facing children as they walk up to my house is probably not a very good idea, but oh, well, I did that. So the, and I posted least... it and then, uh, what, uh, Mitch reposted it. I, I didn't, I kind of just posted it and then Mitch reposted it to the director and the director liked it. So I think he thinks probably Mitch made the pumpkin, which is fine. I don't care. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool that the director at least saw it. That someone in America is making a pumpkin of his, uh, movie cover. So there you go. Well, all love and credit to Mitch Burns over at the Holly persona and the film vault. Or she does a lot of work for the film vault and is a very big part of our cinematics. Facebook group community, which join our Facebook group community. You're going to get some movie recommendations from Bruce and Eric, and they're sort of pretty much the admins of the community and people like Joseph Bridges, Matt Stillman, Chad Wilfong, some really great cinephiles. They actually anchor our cinematic Facebook group. Great insights on movies. Join us. And Mitch Burns is one of them. The aforementioned Mitch Burns. I am the, me and Anderson are the original admins, but we really do nothing. I do nothing. That's basically Eric and Bruce's job along with the community. They do a great job, don't they, Eric Holmes? Do you agree on this as far as getting your movie recommendations from our community over at Facebook? Uh, yeah, well, Bruce probably does better than I do. Uh, it's been, I'll, I'll, I'll post something once in a while and look at stuff once in a while, but not nearly as much as I used to. But... Mm. I did manage to, uh, I forgot to mention this. I did uh, yesterday drop a trailer on my toe. You dropped a, ta- a trailer on your yeah, toe? Yeah, you, we got the, uh, my sister and I got that food truck trailer and we were trying to, we were trying to hook it up and it was just kind of like sitting on top of the ball. It was stuck. So I was 
picking it up, trying to drop it down so the weight of the trailer would go on the ball and like loosen up whatever stuck on there. It missed the ball and landed on my foot. It was like the most pain I've ever been in for like a minute and then nothing. I was like, oh crap, I broke it, didn't I? Then eventually I took my uh took my shoe and sock off and it's fine. It just hurt for a little bit. Did you so go to lose how many toenails are you gonna lose now? Let me let me think about this. Right. Uh none, none. It it was it landed on my big toe, so that Maybe the big toe is like took us. I got, I got a, I got a wicked strong big toe apparently. So you didn't even go to the doctor. You didn't even think about it because it was completely fine. No, I mean, like I kind of feel like I think it might be bruised a little bit, but it's not like I can still move it and wiggle it and everything. So I think it's fine. Okay. You look, Eric. You know, you better be fine because you're the one who's doing interviews for cinematics. You know. Yeah, but thankfully I I, I don't have to do walking talks with him. (laughs) Good Good point. Good point. You know, here's the thing. Eric and I accidentally interviewed the same director. I forgot the name of the director. He's a filmmaker behind the Dirty South. I think his name is Matthew Yerba. Yerby. Matthew Yerby. Okay. Thank you, Eric. I interviewed him in the morning and Eric an hour later interviewed him and we crossed paths and I realized, look, it was a happy accident. Eric and I are actually interviewing filmmakers and actors. And sometimes we just cross pass and we get double the interview so yeah. i was thinking- it, worked, it worked out because he's a cool guy and like this yeah. is like his first like me like he's done some uh acting in shorts and stuff but like this is kind of his first real any like thing anything and so i'm pretty excited for him to you know have have a movie come out that he's been working so long on and finally have it out in the world i'm pretty yeah. excited for him and we'll be doing a review me and eric will be doing a review of the dirty south next week on cinematics and you'll be listening to that matthew yerby interview from eric holmes next week on cinematics that said we're going to open up again an interview we said our interview arm was find your film but you know what eric is doing so many gosh darn interviews that i think i'm going to put all of eric holmes's interviews here for our cinematics podcast feed so you're going to it's going to be all eric holmes all the time with he look you're going to you're going to be thinking how many interviews does Eric Holmes do in a week? Well, the answer is within a uh, um, Bruce, you don't know this. Within a span of several minutes, Eric dropped four interviews in my email, and I, I don't know how you did that. You're big. I'm basically backlogged with Eric Holmes interviews, and a, a lot of this this stuff will be insightful material if you're interested in watching these movies. Eric asks a lot of hands-on filmmaking, creative storytelling questions. And I think he's a great interview. So that's going to be a, another big open up for our cinematics podcast. You could have our main review, main movie review episode per week. And then you're also going to get an interview episode courtesy of Eric Holmes. What do you think of that uh, creative choice? Bruce Berkey is you are a, an unbiased per your review of Gangnam Zombie about a week ago. You are a very unbiased <laughs> reviewer. And I love that about you. What do you think about, about that move? Um, I think it's good. I, I mean, I know that whatever podcasts I consume, I never am upset to have more content. So as long as it's discreet, they know like, oh, that's where the interviews are at. That's where the podcast is at. I think it's good stuff. And then um, on top of that, if we didn't mention it again, uh, we also just, you just put up the, the Patreon episode too. So that's available out there too for any of those Patreon listeners. Yes. And very good job, Bruce, actually promoting our Patreon episode on our Facebook feed. You're, you're doing a better job than me over at Patreon. So by the way, our month, 
this month we're covering the year. What year are we covering, Eric Holmes? Is that 1996? Is that the one that you're you're covering? I believe yes. And Bruce is saying yes. Yes. He's a, yes. Make sure you pick. Um, don't pick. Don't pick your 1996 movie yet. As far as right now, we're recording a podcast, Eric. Don't think right now about 1996. But eventually, down the road for November. Eric will have a choice from 1996 and the other choice will be for exclusively our Patreon members. So if you want to actually join our Patreon community, that's a $5 catch all with a bonus episode per month. And me and Eric, we have a couple of interviews lined up as far as spoiler stuff. We, we, I got stuff from the dirty South. I, I got actually the director, Matthew, you're be talking about the end of it. It's a very interesting ending and that's going to be exclusive for our Patreon members. And I have the director, Nicole Payone from the film, The Kill Room, she talks about shooting an alternate ending for The Kill Room, and that's only going to be exclusive for Patreon members. So if you're into, into spoiler stuff, join our community over Patreon. We're going to actually get a review from Bruce and me regarding The Kill Room, if it's actually worth killing for, if it's actually worth something watching, or maybe not. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go. Let's get to our features. And I'm going to personally apologize to Bruce Perky because I'm, I want to start off with the one movie I really wanted to see this week and I didn't get to it. And I am absolutely depressed that I didn't get to it. It's a movie <laughs> called The Marsh King's Daughter. And Bruce, the reason why I'm depressed is this feels like a movie that I would completely love. It centers on a woman named Helena, played by Daisy Ridley. She is confronting her father. He's known as the Marsh King, played I am assume in menacing form by Ben Mendelsohn. If you, you know, Ben Mendelsohn has been in so many films um, and he has a varied career, but I still remember him and I'm still scared when I think of his character in Animal Kingdom. This feels like a menacing role for Ben Mendelsohn. We'll see. I looked at the trailer. It looks interesting. The Marsh King's Daughter, directed by limitless filmmaker Neil Berger. And Berger also did The Illusionist with Edward Norton, a movie that I feel is underrated. The Marsh King's Daughter opens Friday, runs at a, it's rated R, runs at 108 minutes. The trailer looks like it's going, going to be pure genrefied. I don't even know if the word trash, but just genrefied escapism. And I think I that's why I'm, I'm so excited to see if this movie lives up to that. My expectations, Bruce, take it away. Please tell me something good or maybe guilty pleasure about this movie or not. I think your your take on it is probably a good way to approach this movie. And I think the, I guess, the fun will vary depending on how you like those kind of movies, for sure. Um, I'll give you the basic setup. And I don't think it's a spoiler to kind of say the basic setup, because I think it's the kind of the the premise of the whole movie. And that is, it starts out with a, a young girl. Uh, she's the daughter of <laughs> the Marsh King. Uh, and they're living kind of off the grid. And the young girls, you look it up for me. Um, it's the young version of Daisy Ridley, and it's the girl from um, uh, the Florida Project. I can never remember her name, but yeah, I'll she, look it up, yeah. she plays young Helena, right? And as the movie starts, her dad is kind of showing her the ropes of living like kind of this wildlife, you know, how to hunt and how to do all these things. And in fact, they're going on a hunt together. And when she does successful things, he tattoos her. So she gets a tattoo of like a, her first kill. She said like a tattoo of a deer on her neck and all this kind of stuff. And you Brooklyn kind of Prince, ideas. Brooklyn Prince, Brooklyn Prince. Thank you. So, and she's playing that role. And uh, the mom is kind of uh, there just like living sort of in this cabin and they're, they're in the woods and you kind of get the feeling like they've just chosen 
to live this alternate lifestyle. And you're not sure what time period it takes place in, but you get the feeling that they're probably in, uh, actually, it might even say at the beginning, but they're, they're living in semi-modern times. This takes place basically, you know, I don't know, 10 or 12, 15 years, I forget what it is, before most of the movie, right? And uh, the inciting incident is they're doing this, they're living this life, things are happening. And out of the blue, um, some dude pulls up in a, a four-wheeler, right? And he's like, hey, sorry to, to get in your area here. And, you know, I just kind of lost track of where I was at. And uh, Helena is there to greet him and she looks a little confused and she's not sure what to say. And he's near their cabin. The dad is away, currently hunting or something, I forget. And the mom, who you basically heard nothing from this whole beginning 10 minutes or so of the movie, runs out of the cabin and says, help us, save us. You know, he's got us here. Get us out of here. Save us. And until then, you're supposed to think that, oh, they're living this on this kind of this life willingly. And all of a sudden, you know, they are not. And out of the blue, Mendelssohn, you know, shoots the guy and all hell breaks loose. And so begins the story. Flash forward. I'm not going to say all the things that happened there, but basically you flash forward and Daisy Ridley is now a grown up Helena. Had been living without her dad. Her dad has been in prison and she's kind of adjusted to normal life. And no surprise, he will reinsert himself, himself one way or another into her life. And that'll be the predominant part of the movie is how does she deal with this father and this former life kind of encroaching upon her seemingly normal life that most people don't know about her history at all. And that's kind of the setup of this movie. Um, I think if you take it, the approach that you did, Greg, kind of think of it as kind of a genre, trashy, sort of like an elevated lifetime movie, that kind of a thing. I think you'll have a pretty good time with this. My biggest problem with the movie is that it's nearly two hours and the first 20 or 30 minutes, probably 20 minutes or so, that basically is all that stuff I was just talking about leading up to essentially his incarceration. That stuff is all pretty interesting and, and pretty good world building. Even though you might have some questions of logic, this kind of movie doesn't rely on logic too well. And the last 30 minutes, which is the denouement of the possible conflict between the two, the mom and the, or I should say the daughter and father, that stuff is pretty fun. Uh, very illogical and it will drive you crazy if you want to be logical. Cause I definitely had some moments where I'm like, Oh no, what, huh? What, what? what's happening there? But if you kind of let yourself go, it's, it's fun enough. The problem I have with this movie overall is the middle hour, because the problem with the middle hour of this movie is with this kind of movie, you know what this movie's about, right? This movie is about dad's coming back. Daughter has to face this daughter has, has to face this in her normal life. What will happen? Let's just get right to that. And they don't. It takes quite a while to finally get to that face-off. And you're just waiting for it. You know it's coming. So it's kind of a it's a lot of spinning the wheels in the middle for me, I guess I would say. So wait, that's oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was gonna I, I was gonna point out one of the uh the writers to the Marsh King's daughter wrote Vacancy, Joe Dante's The Hole, The Revenant, Overlord, Midnight Sky. This uh where where does this stand like within uh, pretty low on that list, I would say. I mean, I haven't seen all those, but Overlord I like better. Um, what was the other ones? You Revenant, obviously, I'd like that better. Yeah. Um, I think there's Martyrs, but I think it's the remake one. Yeah, probably. I haven't seen the remake, but I kind of know the basic story there. Uh, 
yeah, I, I feel like this could definitely be tightened up. This feels like it's probably beholden to a book. I don't know if it's based on a book, but it feels like it's based on a book. Um, and I bet you if they didn't have the book to rely on, once again, it's a guess. I bet you some of the stuff in the middle would have been cut out and it would have been tightened up in just a straight genre thriller. Based know? on a book by Karen Dion. There you go. Or Dione. Okay. Good job, Eric. But Bruce, you're saying that whole middle, that one hour is pretty yeah. much a waste. It's just a waste. Not even world I, building. I mean, interest. I know it's there and it's character stuff and everything, but you just feel like you're like, you're waiting for them. You're waiting for stuff to happen between the two. That's all you're waiting for. I mean, it's almost like they play it out as if it's like a mystery. Like, is he, is he around still? Is what's he doing? But you know the answer. So <laughs> there's no, <laughs> so you're just like, why are we not getting to the meat of this story? The story is her facing her father and how it impacts her life. So let's just make that happen. And yeah, it doesn't feel like it, it gets there in a timely manner. So for me, I probably come down at like three stars. Like it gave me enough fun that I didn't hate myself for watching it, but it feels like this could have been a movie that could have been three star banger and, or, you know, three and a half, four stars. This, this could have been super fun genre piece. And it had all of the ingredients. You know what I mean? Like I have all the ingredients and it's like, I got an okay meal, <laughs> you know, Daisy Ridley, her as a lead, how did she fare outside of that Star Wars universe going toe-to-toe with Ben Mendelsohn? How did you feel about that? She seemed fine. I, I didn't dislike her. I didn't feel like she was, you know, blowing me away. Honestly, I feel like the young version of her kind of blew her out of the water, honestly, as far as charisma and and acting. And I could have stayed in that world longer because I think she kind of stole it as far as the same character. But I didn't didn't hate Daisy Ridley. I liked her all right. Okay, Bruce, so that is The Marsh King's Daughter in theaters November 3rd. Thank you, Bruce, for that review. Now, more of Bruce. Eric Holmes is going to chime in on this movie called Hands That Bind. It's in theaters and available on VOD November 3rd. I have here a quote. It's a slow burn, prairie gothic drama set in 1980s small town Alberta. It is a Canadian production. It's 117 minutes from Dark Sky Films, they do a lot of good good indie-driven movies. It runs 117 minutes. I checked out the trailer. Felt like a very atmospheric drama that could either pull you in or make you say, nope, this is too slow for me. I'm not going to go for Hands That Bind. One of the cool things about it is Bruce Dern is part of the ensemble. So whenever I see Bruce Dern in something, right, oh, oh quote-unquote, oh, uh-oh, Bruce Eric, Stern Eric. cameos in this movie. Let's okay. be clear about that. Okay, we will be clear. Thank you, Eric. Bruce Stern is, has a cameo in this film. Hopefully it's, I don't know, maybe if it's memorable or not. Eric Holmes, let's he start doesn't hang around for He doesn't hang around for too long. <laughs> okay. Oh, you know, okay. okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Bruce. That might be a pun. Eric Holmes, what can you tell us about Hands That Bind? Um. Well, it's... Uh... Hmm. How, how do you... <laughs> How do you go with this? It's kind of a alien movie. It, it's weird. So it's it's definitely like a a drama, like a family drama throughout. But there's all they always kind of uh, throw in these little alien bits, like a bit of mystery. Uh, not unlike Nope, although Nope's more uh, action packed in uh, its uh, you know how it presents itself. This one's this one's closer to kill, uh, killing of two lovers kind of pace or, uh, the, the integrity of Joseph chambers. Um, not much going on, but like the mystery of the alien 
whatever that is. Um, spoiler alert, still don't know what that is, uh, <laughs> yeah. which, which is probably one of the more frustrating things about this. Um, but the, the mystery of the alien stuff kind of kept me, okay, what, what, what's going to happen? And then the family stuff happens and like the family dynamics, interesting enough, uh, especially the, the one a-hole and the horrible way he treats his wife, just, uh, pretty much the, the way everyone kind of treats everyone is kind of not great. And then it gets to the end and I'm waiting, I'm waiting for this, uh, this, uh, alien thing to resolve that they kind of pepper in throughout and it doesn't. And that's extremely frustrating. So I would say this, uh, like up until that point, I'm like, Oh, this movie's really good. Like the way it's shot, the, the way, like every angle has like, uh, gives you just enough information. Like a, like a camera will kind of be going down and just here off in the corner, you just see enough to suggest that, oh, someone's dead or, oh, there's uh, something bad going on there. Like the, like the, the framing is very deliberate, but it works. And so I, I was totally trusting this movie. And then by the, by the time it gets to the end and it just kind of stops, it was like, I feel like you just wasted this went from like a five star movie all the way down to like a two star movie. I feel like you just wasted my time and I felt that the movie betrayed me, but perhaps Bruce has a different opinion on this because maybe I didn't get it, but I, I, I felt like they were about to answer some things and then they never did. That is very frustrating to go from a five to a two star. Bruce, do you concur with Eric's assessment about this de- uh, decrease? I'm a little higher on this, but I also totally see his his problems with it. I think, and I could be wrong, but I feel like the alien stuff isn't literal, except there's some things that everyone sees. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, or so I mean, it kind of plays. There's little things like the cow mutilations, which are like an actual thing that happened and occurred, and people have found their cows, cattle, and stuff like that. So the only thing I could say is that maybe those things really happened, and that the other stuff is more of an extrapolation or emotional state stuff with our main character, but it doesn't, the filmmaker doesn't make it super clear that that's what's happening. So I think that it does frustrate the viewers. If you're not just able to take it as more a metaphor kind of stuff with him and it doesn't quite, I don't think work hundred percent as far as like how it works, if it's metaphoric for him. So I think all of that stuff, it's almost like the filmmaker or the writer because I think the writer is his director as well. Yes. Maybe doesn't trust the story on its own to have enough impact and wants to kind of spice it up with that other stuff. Kyle I, Armstrong. I could be wrong. I feel like that there's enough really strong stuff with the drama here that I I can I can accept it and almost just discount it and just take the drama for what it is um, and enjoy it on that level. I would call out a couple things. Paul Sparks as Andy. Hang on real quick. I may need to. You got it. Here. Sorry. Okay, you know what, guys? Bruce is indisposed right now. He will be back in a second. Eric, just final thoughts on Hands That Bind? Was it even worth watching? What was? What is your final rating on Hands That Bind? It, it's weird because it's it's a really good movie. I, I was, you know, just falling all the way through. Performance is really good. The cinematography, fucking excellent. Freaking excellent. It's a family show. No worries, uh, no but uh, it's just with... I think had they not sprinkled that alien stuff in there, I wouldn't be expecting an answer for all that. And since they don't give an answer, really, that just kind of like making me hang there was really frustrating. So could have been probably could have been a four and a half, five star movie, probably 
took it down to a three just because of that. But, um, you know, it's say la vie, as they'd say, say la vie. Spanish for something, I'm sure. So that is Hands at Bind. It's in theaters and VOD on November 3rd. Bruce will get back and give his rating on this movie, which I guess has a cameo from Bruce Dern. It's only, uh, it's 117 minutes. Did it feel like a slog or were you able to get through the 117 minutes? It, okay. It was, it was definitely slow, but like, it, and that's a weird thing. It's because it's the alien stuff that kept me, that kept me, ooh, what's going to happen next? And then when they just didn't do anything with it, it was like, that, that was, that was the thing. <laughs> that was the thing carrying me through the movie. But it, actually, that's not entirely true because the, like the, all the, all the family drama stuff was definitely interesting. And yeah, it, it, it was just, yeah, it, it, I think if they would have taken more time with the ending and really stuck the landing, it could have been like, oh, like integrity of Joseph Chambers or killing the two lovers level good. Okay, cool. Now, speaking of good to great, The Killer is out now in theaters before it hits Netflix on November 10th. It's directed by David Fincher. One of the writers of The Killer is set. Oh, sorry about that. Seven screenwriter Andrew Kevin Walker. Mm-hmm. I believe you appreciate his writing style or is just his stories. Eric Holmes, you saw it in the theater before it hits Netflix. Was this movie worth going to the theater for and why? And it centers on an assassin, right? Basically, and that's the movie. He's Michael Fassbender, and you get to see the ins and outs of his job. What is this yeah, movie so the- about? And your thoughts on the movie? The whole first, what, like 20 minutes, half hour or so, like it's a long time. And he's sitting up in this room and he's just kind of uh, sticking out this, uh, his hit. And it's just him doing like a voiceover to himself, pretty much, you know, kind of telling you, kind of giving you his thoughts on things, uh, the patience it takes, the, you know, meticulousness it takes to be a good assassin. And you sit there for like about 20 minutes, 25, half hour, however long it is. And after a, what seems like a couple of days, might have been uh, two days. I don't know how long he was up there for, but he was up there for a while. And eventually he takes a shot and someone gets in the way and he doesn't kill his intended target. He kills someone else. So now the rest of the movie is him trying to wrap things up. Because as soon as he misses a shot and with all the voiceover, we know what's at stake. We know what happens if, uh, you know, he misses because he doesn't miss. He's too meticulous, blah, blah, blah. Bam, he misses. Oh, boy, you're in, you're in for it now, bud. And then so the rest of the movie is him trying to escape not only the police, but also the people that hired him because he messed up. And also uh, he ends up going home and it's either his wife or girlfriend or uh, some female living with him. Uh, she's damn near killed and in the hospital. And so now he's got to take revenge out on that. And this is basically a play by play, how to kill people. So (laughs) I don't think we ever covered gone girl on this show before, but like gone girl, I really love gone girl, but there are certain people where it's like, you don't need to see gone girl. You're, you're crazy. This, this movie is just going to give you ideas. I, I feel the same way about the killer. Like there, there's certain people with a certain temperament or a certain, uh, they have a certain personality. It's like, I don't think you need to see kill. I don't think you need to see the killer. You're, uh, you're psycho enough on your own. You don't need a movie giving you ideas on how to get away with the things that you shouldn't be getting away with. Other than yeah. that, I, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a good serial killer movie. I mean, assassin movie, serial killer. That's potato, potato, right? But, uh, 
It, it's a really good movie. And I think, uh, cause I remember watching Zodiac when it first came out. And I think before I watched it, I was expecting it. Oh, it's David Fincher. It's going to be like seven. And it wasn't like seven. I was a little disappointed in it. And I was like, oh, it's, I mean, it's still pretty good, but it's no, it's not like seven. And then I watched uh, Zodiac another couple of times. I'm like, oh, you know, Zodiac's actually pretty good. It's almost as good as seven. Then I watched it a couple more times. I'm like, Zodiac's better than seven. I love Zodiac. <laughs> and I, I think, and so this time watching the killer, like I got all that out of my head because I, I already went through this with seven and zodiac i wasn't going to do it with zodiac and the killer so i was like i'll just take it for what it is and uh watch it and it's not at all what i expected but you know i left my expectations at the door when going to watch this i think the biggest my biggest issue with this and it's not it's more of an annoyance it's not really an issue i thought that some of the uh voiceover was a bit too writerly like it seemed like, uh, you know, you ever watch a movie and you can tell that, oh, they want that to be the tagline for the movie, or they want that to be the, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? The Is that tagline, the through line? Not, 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 not tagline, like in uh, sitcoms where someone says a thing over and over again, that a uh, catchphrase. Right. A, a lot of this stuff seems like it wanted to be a catchphrase for the movie. Um, and it felt a little, I, I probably would have cut that, but other than that, I really like the, the meticulous nature of this and the, procedural but not like a police procedural but a murderer procedural and yeah imagine watching a movie uh like seven but you're following john doe instead of uh somerset and uh the 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 other one like <laughs> my brain sucks <laughs> so wait i forgot did you like mank from a couple of years ago did you like that film i did oh. uh that, that didn't quite stick with me as much as i thought it would but i did still like it and then oh hell what did he do anything since Mank? Nope. That, that was it. Oh, he yeah. did uh, Mindhunter. Yeah, yeah. Mindhunter is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Mindhunter is fantastic. Yeah. He, did, he did a lot of done a lot of great stuff for Netflix, and I guess this is really good. The Killer hits Netflix on November 10th, currently out now in limited release. That was cool. How far was it from your domicile? As far so, as... Uh, up, up in Denver. Okay, cool. So, yeah, okay, about right. 40 minutes away, half hour if you know you don't care about the speed limit. That's a lot of dedication, Eric Holmes. Seeing it in Denver. So what is your rating on the killer? I would probably have to go five stars on this. Actually, now that I'm thinking Mindhunter, because Mindhunter is definitely 6.9 stars. It's not quite as good as Mindhunter, but it's still, I, I still dig this one. I, the, this is one I'll, I'll be watching a lot. Okay. Speaking of, in fact, I want to watch it right now. So I'll see you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's one of my recommendations for this week. It's a movie called Deep Rising. It's a documentary. It hits the U.S. and Canada, Canadian theaters, in on November third, and it's directed by Matthew Ritz. And I interviewed him. My interviews, not your interviews. My interviews actually on our Find Your Film podcast. So you get a listeners. You get to get some of my interviews. On the Find Your Film podcast, Eric's interviews is going to be here on Cinematics. But what's interesting about Deep Rising, first, star power. It's narrated by Jason Moa. Jason Moa is also the executive producer of Deep Rising. And simply put, it's a documentary about the dangers of deep sea mining. And what's interesting is Matthew Ritz, he shows both sides. There are, he is always... He wants the ocean floor to be pristine and untouched and to keep our ecosystems intact like so many other people because there are nodules 
at the bottom of the sea. And if you actually extract these nodules from the bottom of the ocean, you can actually make, can act, it has precious metals, materials inside all of these. They look like just big rocks, big stones. And there's all these billion dollar machines. They go underwater and they just scoop them up like M&Ms. And that's, well, you know, some of these nodules have been there for centuries, right? And you're actually scraping the history of our earth. And I find that to be really interesting, but there's actually a sequence where it could have been just a preach to the choir documentary about saving the environment and climate change, but you also get you also get to see it from the other side where they actually take these nodules and it possibly can really help create electric cars, batteries for electric cars. So in in way in many ways, these nodules are helping save our environment as far as the green revolution, but there is always a cost behind these environmentally sound cars or batteries that they're making because these environmentally sound, it's environmentally sound, but then these people who are extracting these nodules from the bottom of the floor, they're using it for environmental purposes, but they're also using it to make money. So you get to see both sides and the director, he doesn't actually make you take a side. He actually presents both arguments regarding the pros and cons of actually keeping the deep oceans uh, pristine, or maybe is there a benefit from for taking nodules? So I really love this movie. This I'm going to give, you know, the only drawback is Deep Rising. A lot of people will know the, the name as a Treat Williams action film from years ago, maybe obscure, who knows, maybe. But the documentary itself is a solid documentary. I give Deep Rising four out of five stars. It expands nationwide November 3rd in different markets. And yeah, US and Canada markets. Check it out. So it and sounds, actually, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it, it, it sounds like a Catch-22, which I, I, I think is uh, usually makes for good documentaries. Where it's like, here, here's the here's the one side of it, and here's the other side of it, and, and both are equally valid. Like you want to preserve the you want to preserve the environment, but the thing that you have to extract preserves the environment. Right. Like it, yes. it's yeah, that's very interesting. It's like I'm doing good, but I'm doing bad. But you're doing bad because you're doing good. <laughs> there's this one sec this is not a spoiler. There is this really awesome because I mentioned this in the interview. There's this one segment where you, you get to see people on this ship and they're they're putting this just billion dollar machine into the ocean and, and to extract these nodules and it malfun it there's a malfunction there's something wrong with this machine so they have they have to bring it back up and they have to actually take it back to the lab and get it repaired and it's a really big letdown for these people and unfortunately you you get you get to see them a year later bringing that machine back out and putting it back into the ocean. So in a sense, like you see these these people working on the ships with this machine, and when the, the machine that is supposed to take these nodules out doesn't work, you you feel for these employees. And a year later, when we return, we see them actually that that machine is fixed. They bring it back down, and you're kind of clapping like, "Yay, everything's ha- everyone's happy." But no, <laughs> at what cost? It, at, at what, what cost? At what cost? So th- that's what I, why I really thought Deep Rising was a really good documentary. Again, November third, U.S. and Canada. I give it again four stars. Bruce Perky, we actually skipped over hands that bind. We wanted to g- get your final rating on the film. What did you think? Final thoughts and rating for hands that bind. 
Um, I think I'll probably come down. Hmm. I'll probably come down three and a half. It could have been a lot better, but I, come, I think I'm coming down three and a half. Three and a half stars. Bruce Brooks. Do you want to call out Paul Sparks? I don't think I mentioned him, but Paul yes. Sparks is the lead. Andy is is amazing. Really, really good, and he really grounds the movie. So uh, I think that mileage will vary on that. So. Um, oh, I'm glad it's still, it, did the 117 minutes seem like a slog for you or it was, you were immersed enough in that world to enjoy it? I like the tone. I like the mood of it, but I'm kind of like Eric. I, I mean, it's a little bit frustrating because you, you want a little more payoff <laughs> for what they give you. So, okay. so here's a movie that you and I did both saw Bruce and I apologize if you not, didn't like it so much. I, hopefully maybe you might glean some kind of positives from the kill room, a movie that stars Uma Thurman, Samuel L. Jackson, and Joe Manganiello. When you make art from a truthful place, people find out something about you. We're a team, right? Yeah. We need to find a new way to deal with the money. Customer of mine was short of cash. Came you got instead. And what's your? It's Kitty. Nate was mentioning you were having a cash problem. Well, my business is no business of yours. Well, not right now, but I think we might be able to help each other out. What am I supposed to paint? You want to make money? Just paint someday. All right, I'll paint. Damn. That is ugly. So from now on, there's a contract out. I suggest they buy art. Art? What the frig do you know about art? This classy art gallery run by this young lady will take a reasonable cut for herself and cut us a nice, clean check. My five-year-old makes better paintings. That's the beauty of this, you cretin. This thing that looks like a Smurfwood diarrhea can sell for a million bucks, and the IRS wouldn't bat an eye. What's the artist's name? Bagman. The Bagman. Are you the Bagman? Tell me about the Bagman. I would never say it's a good piece, but it makes me feel dirty. Ooh. An art critic wants to do a piece on. Oh, la di da. When I hear no, it makes me want something even more. This thing's supposed to be a front. That means low profile. Why do I even have to tell you this is not good? I knew that money laundering was a crime, but murder? I'm sorry, we don't have any work from the Batman available. There's an extremely long wait list of collectors. Everybody wants one. Clean, like laundry. Are you really mansplaining money laundering to me? And Uma Thurman, she plays an art gallery owner. She's struggling. She's make, trying to make ends meet. She's I, I don't know what she's on, Bruce. She's on some kind of Adderall. And she just, or she's pill, she pops a lot of pills, snorts them, and she's addicted to substance abuse. She's really over the top in this movie. Her character is just, <laughs> she's doing whatever she can to to make a buck because her the paintings won't sell. There's not, not too many commissions in her gallery. She's struggling. What happens is a bagel store owner played by Samuel L. Jackson. He makes bagels and also, of course, Bialis too, because he wants to, he, he's all about the Bialis in his bagel store. But he plays an owner who gives her a proposition, proposition where, hey, he tells her, 
we're going to have people buy, we're going to have a painting, we're going to have one of our contacts buy it, and this will be off the market. And what it, what off the market means and the exchange of monies, it's going to be a dirty, what dirty laundry, a money laundering experiment where everyone gets a cut. The the people with the money, they, they get their money washed, the art gallery owner gets a cut, and also the the bagel store owner gets a cut at being the front man as well. The front man represents a hitman played by Joe Manganiello. He kills people for a living with a bag. That's why he's called the bag man. What's interesting is he uses his inspiration as a killer to become a really interesting artist. So he does these sort of Jackson Pollock-esque paintings, not on the floor, but actually on a canvas. And he uses maybe some, you're wondering if some of that paint is mixed with blood. It's one of those things. He's, He's a very quiet, possibly, is he psychotic? Who knows? He's a killer. He, he kills people. So ultimately what happens is this money laundering experiment sort of works but fails because this off-book art purchases gets on book. It gets public and the bagman's artwork becomes the talk of New York City and everyone wants a piece of work, a piece of art from the bagman what will happen as he gets more popular? The art gallery does really well. Yes, Eric Holmes, uh, you're off mic. Yes, Eric, your audio. Eric, it, it, yeah. it sounds like you're dis- uh, describing a bucket of blood. A bucket of oh, a bucket okay. of blood. Oh, oh, the movie. But okay, I, I've never seen Bucket of Blood. It's, a, it's right. a, was that an anthology or the, a, mo- a movie with? Uh, no, uh, uh, Mr. Futterman uh, basically covers dead things in plaster and everyone thinks that it's a uh, great art and he becomes a really uh famous artist it's almost exactly what you're describing is that a vincent price it sounds like a vincent price movie kind of uh, roger, corman. roger corman yeah oh is that oh and uh dick smith is it dick smith is yeah. his name yeah okay okay bucket of blood i don't know I, I'm, I'm assuming bruce might have liked bucket of blood more than the kill room directed by nicole pione bruce what did you think of this movie yeah, no. <laughs> this movie. Um, first of all, I don't know what Uma was doing. I know she knows how to act. I've seen her act before, but I don't know if she knows how to act like this kind of character. Yeah, you're right. It's very over the top, but it's it's um, this is one of the, once again we talked about before tone. This is a kind of tone that just it's very broad, and there's a lot of these movies right where it's like. Hey, we're going to skewer the art community and the pretentiousness of the art community by showing them liking art that somehow they're so dumb that they shouldn't like it, but they like it anyway to show how they art doesn't really mean anything. And it's just these, these uh, pretentious buyers and art galleries that are, and that's kind of what this movie's getting at. And then it's throwing this whole like kind of gangster side plot to it to give it some some flavor and i was just like eric i wrote bucket of blood and circled it bucket of blood where bucket of blood works is it's super low budget genre piece with roger corman using like i think some of the same sets he used on um little shop of horrors i think little shop of horrors right and just making this this weird little movie about the beatnik community one of the only comedies kind of satires on the beatnik community uh, and in there, he's doing it and also playing with the idea of art and all this stuff with a, a psychopath, essentially, not even a psychopath, kind of a, a schlub that just kind of <laughs> falls into having pop- popular art because he's trying to cover up various things he's killing. I think that was kind of fun, weird little genre piece, whereas this one's trying to kind of, I think, have more, I don't know, 
social commentary here or something. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I wasn't really along for the ride much here. I think it was very try hard. This is a try hard movie. I like the kill room. I, I really enjoyed the broad tone. I, I like the dry wit. And I like some of the jokes or some really funny jokes in this movie. It's light fare, light comedic fare, but there is killing involved. So I don't know how light this movie can be. It juggles a different, I don't know, the tone didn't work for you, Bruce. This tone, weird tone actually worked for me. We'll see what most people think of The Kill Room. Hopefully, there are going to be some people on my side of the camp who might actually enjoy I thought Uma was great in this movie. I thought she was wonderful. Maybe to you, it might be a little bit grating and over the top for you regarding Uma. I enjoyed her performance. I, and set. Yes. I will give this movie. It's better than that other art gangster combo movie that we watched. Do you remember that one? Jeremy Piven? <laughs> Get Shorty? <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, Piven, Jeremy one? Piven. And okay. there was like some sex scene with paint all over them. And yeah. oh God, I can't remember the name of that movie, but that was horrible. Oh, so this... Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I forgot what the name Something American something. I don't remember the name. I don't remember what it's about. But I remember not remembering it after I watched. <laughs> and I, I think, think I know which one you're talking about. Bruce, I I think to Eric's point, you said like this is not a very memorable film for you. You didn't you didn't like it so much. This movie that we're talking about, yeah, now, it was one? it was oh, yeah, the Kill Room. I guarantee, if you mention the Kill Room to me in a month or so from now, I'll be like, D- did I watch that movie? What was that movie? You know, say Uma Thurman. Oh, oh yeah. It just feels also this this feel like um, wow, we got Uma and we got Samuel L. Jackson. In the same movie. Oh my gosh. So many member berries. Let's throw them together and let's, it'll be enough. But no, it's not enough. Huh. The only, my only problem is the ending was a little bit off for me. And what's interesting is I interviewed Nicole Payon for, uh, for our cinematics and find your film universe. And she talked to, she talks about the ending and it's just a really interesting thing on what she had to compromise on the day of what she had to do for the ending of the movie. And I thought it was really interesting. The ending that she had in her mind, obviously you don't get brownie points for that. Right. But the ending that she had was a much better ending that showed up in the, in the film. Yeah. Yes. Does that that kind of stuff have to do with the fact that it's starring Uma Thurman, Samuel L. Jackson and Joe Manchin, the yellow, like when, when you get a list actors in a movie, all of a sudden, they gotta they gotta stick their nose in and go. Oh, by the way, all of a sudden, no. I'm a writer now, and I need to make the changes. And blah blah blah. No, what happened was Joe got COVID that day, and then Uma she actually ended up late to the shoot due to traffic, and they had to shoot. Basically, they had to shoot around it. And what she was, she had to actually go, pretty much. It was a very stressful day. It's kind of like our buddy Anderson on his stressful day and shooting yeah. loaded for bear. A lot of things have have to happen. Uh, have to make. A lot of things have to fall into place to make right. And I think she, she was actually able to cobble up an, an ending for the movie that was fine. But I thought the ending that she said during the interview was more interesting. That said, I enjoyed the Kill Room's humor. I liked the performances. For me, this is a solid recommended three and a half out of five stars. It's on digital and VOB, VOD November 3rd. I'm a New York guy. Had a really nice, I know that a lot of them, this stuff is just drone shots and exteriors, but I, I really felt like it had sort of a New York feel to me. I can tell you that three and a half stars is not the judgment or rating Bruce will levy on the kill room. What is your rating, Bruce? Uh, just two stars. Two stars for Bruce Berkey for the kill room. Okay. So I think we're pretty much done with all our featured movies. Anatomy of a Fall, I think that's a, a movie that I would like to see. 
I think I'm going to try to get a screener. Do you guys mind if we discuss it next week? An Anatomy yeah. of a Fall. In fact, um, yeah, because I think I think it's starting to play in theaters. I think we should just hang off, hold off on this one for a bit. Because I really want to do a spoiler on Anatomy of a Fall. I got a okay. bunch of stuff to say, but it's like stuff you're going to have to give away stuff. So I, that'd probably be the way to go. And I mean, it, it's kind of making the rounds, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So I'll. I'll see if I can get a screener link for myself. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll go check out Anatomy of a Fall down the road. I think that's a movie that I, it's getting some really great word of mouth. So are you okay with that, Bruce? Maybe considering it won the Palm Door, I think it's got some pretty good word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't speak in a Palm Door. Don't talk down to so me, Bruce. Bruce. You saw Five <laughs> Nights at Freddy's, right? Wait, wait, wait. Don't talk. What is what is the Palm Door? What is that, Bruce? It's a, it's I don't know. Door. Some kind of Frenchy thing. Trees. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> fancy French people. Palm Door. Can okay. So I'll I'll make sure that I try to go go check out Anatomy of a Fall. And then I just and did you mentioned to Eric say that it's like what two thirds court drama, <laughs> two thirds court. Okay, we'll see what Eric yeah. thinks about Anatomy of Fall. Might be playing in his neck of the woods. He might see it this it week, is. and and we'll talk about it next week because who knows? Maybe it'll be an interesting film, and yeah, we'll, maybe we'll even do spoilers. But before we go, oh, box movie for next week, Bruce. It's. We're going to do short-term yes. 12. We're going to do that next short week. Short-term 12. Yeah. I actually did kind of a, a impromptu drawing for it. I was going to do it this week. Uh, the Sloth helped me on that one, get the get the movie out of the box. Uh, okay. But I had so many movies this week that I'll uh, put it off for next week. But if you didn't look, go on Cinematic somewhere, and you'll find a little video of uh, the Slother House Sloth um, helping me pick uh, short-term 12. Yeah, I, I love that video that you made, Bruce. Very, very funny. A couple things before we go. Five Nights at Freddy's movie watched by both Bruce and Eric. Let's just say I actually get out of the house this weekend. I think I don't know if it's streaming already, but should, is it this is. Move, oh, it's on it Peacock. Is on Peacock. Eric, Bruce, take it uh, away. The kids, Worth watching. Yes, the kids liked it. <laughs> it was a nap time for me, but the kids liked it. The kid, Bruce, I, do you agree I, with I, five, five Nights at Freddy's? Should be creepy. This turned into this turned into like it should have been like a, a Willy's Wonderland. And I think in some ways it's like shot better than Willie's Wonderland because my biggest issue with that was just the the quick cuts and shaky cams. Five Nights at Freddy's doesn't have that, so it's shot well. But good God, who gives a crap about the story in this movie? Because I sure don't. <laughs> Bruce, do you agree? What is, I'm looking at IMDb, 5.6 out of 10. It's a very popular film for the kids, like Bruce, like Eric was saying. Do you agree with that? It's sort of a kids movie and kids movie only well, it's a it's a PG thirteen, so definitely if you're a horror fan, like a hardcore horror fan, this is probably not going to 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 quite do it for you. I I I appreciated a few things about this movie. First of all, if you're trying to pick a video game property to turn into a passable narrative movie, Five Nights at Freddy's is about the worst video game you could possibly choose. I mean, sure, it has a bunch of lore, but the game at play itself is you're literally sitting looking at monitors, going back and forth between monitors to try to keep, uh these animatronic figures from entering the the control room you're in and killing you, but you don't even move. It's just monitors. There's like not, there's no movement. So it's like, I could see them like going, we're going to turn this into a movie. And it's like, well, how do you turn that into a movie? So I guess in that way, I think it's pretty successful. Also, I appreciated the fact that it had animatronic figures, you know, actual animatronics that they use. So they, I mean, there are people in suits, but there's also a lot of animatronic puppetry going on here too. And it's, looks like it's almost all practical really appreciate that 
they could have easily gone digital with this and just CGI'd it up. So that part I liked. This is one of those movies where you get the uh, generation gap. I think this is truly mm-hmm. one of those movies. I think this is a movie where I'm, I was fine with it. I had a good enough time there. But both of my kids who grew up playing the video game loved it. My youngest son has seen it twice now. Um, it's made like, what, $135 million worldwide on a $20 million budget, something like that. It's made like 80 or $90 million in a weekend here in America. So certain movies just hit. Twilight, I guess, would be another example. Twilight's not for me, but it was for a ton of people. And I think this is kind of the horror version of that. And um, who are we to say, hey, go out and enjoy it if it's for you, you know? You know you know what this movie reminds me of? Uh, Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. I remember growing up, I collect all the Garbage Pail uh, Kids uh, stickers, loved them. They came out with a movie. I'm like, sweet, Garbage Pail Kid movie. Watch it. The movie's terrible. Uh, but at the time, I didn't care. I'm just, it's, it's a garbage pail kid movie. I, I love garbage pail kids. I'm watching the movie. I kind of force fed myself and like, uh, made myself like it. And, uh, you know, grow up, uh, 40 year old Eric. I'm 46 now, but 40 year old, you know, watch it a couple of years ago. And I'm like, Ooh, I should have left this movie in my, <laughs> I should have left this movie in my memory. I loved it in my memory. I hate it now. Here, here's the defense I'll give to this movie. Okay. Certain movies when you are, I don't know eight to 12, something like that, seven to 12 aren't really hardcore horror movies, but they're the scariest movie you ever see in your youth, right? Yeah, they're the movie that scare. Yeah. Scares. Well, that's a great movie though, <laughs> but, but they're movies that scare the hell out of you, make a huge impact on you. And that kid becomes a lifelong horror fan. And they're yeah. always going to love five nights at Freddy's. Even when they look back on it and go like, eh, okay, it's not the best movie in the world, but I have such fond memories. I think this is one of those movies. It's one of those movies that kind of fits right into that pocket with the it, kids that see it at the right time in the right point in their life. Some the of them gateway become, drug. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I think some of them are going to end up loving that. And I also will give a quite a quiet defense for the director, and I don't have her name in front of me, and I wish I did. Uh, maybe Emma Greg something? can look that up. Emma and Tammy. Yeah, she made a, a little indie horror movie a few years ago called The Wind, which is an awesome little horror western out on the prairie. Uh, really cool little movie. I don't think anyone's ever talked, hardly talked about The Wind. So if you just say, this movie is trash and it's made by a director that doesn't know anything and doesn't like horror, go watch The Wind. Maybe you'll, you'll dig it. It's a cool little indie movie. Oh, this is very oh, cool. What, what, sorry, Eric, what did, what made The Wind cool for you if from your recollection is came out 2018 currently streaming on amc plus i mean is it's it from original, your memory? original property and it's this this woman and her they're out in the the prairie kind of like trying to live in this scary world of the west right and there's these supernatural elements that start to kind of come into play there and it's just really subtle and and really kind of creepy and cool and it's it's just it's just using using an independent small budget to the best of your abilities and not cheapening it up. So I think people are going to see this and think, oh, this person's just making you know colorful studio trash. If that's what you hate about this, eh, go give that movie a try. You might have a different view of her. Eric, I was going to going to point out the number of writers on this movie. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, I bet uh, five of them. Well, uh, one writer, Scott Cawthorn, who or Cawthon, who was uh, created the video game. Uh, he wrote a screen story and screenplay, and then two writers groups: uh, Chris Lee Hill, Tyler McIntyre's one, and Seth Kudaback and Emma Tammy was another another one. 
I, I wonder if this just went through too many people that, well, I, I guess they get it though, because you said they, I mean, the kids like it. They're the ones that play the game. But then like the, hey, the, the scary animatronic monsters are actually our friends. Look at this. Like, <laughs> See, just- I thought that turn in the movie, and I'm going to talk about, there's a turn in the movie where they build a fort, which makes absolutely no sense <laughs> and was bonkers and doesn't even work within the world of the game. But I was like, I, I kind of like this craziness that's happening right now. I almost wish it went harder in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I, can, I, I can't, I can't say it's, it's it, untrue to the game because I mean the the creators part of the writing team, and who knows, maybe he's even a producer on this. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> okay, Five Nights at Freddy's. I, I, I'm okay. not a 16 year old. I don't okay. know. Okay, Five Nights at Freddy's. What's your rating, Eric? Uh, this has to be three star banger. I don't like it, but apparently, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it clearly, uh, it clearly has. It, I'm on the, I'm on the other side of the three, or I'm sorry, three star banger. I'm on the other side of the three star banger. Usually, a three star banger is like, I really like this, but I could see where people don't. I hate this, but I could see where you know it has its fans, and its fans are not me. But hey, if you're into Five Nights at Freddy's, give it a shot, and three you probably point. already have. You could give it zero stars or one star because that's. Your I, I I would, but I'd like, I mean, yeah, the the, the kids you don't have to. The kids love to, it, that, and this is this not, is a movie for them. It's not a movie for me. I'm not a Five Nights at Freddy's fan. And screw the screw the Commonwealth. Give it one star. <laughs> I, I can't do, I can't do that. It's it's, it's it clearly <laughs> has its fans. Okay, that'd be like that movie me. sucks. And it's like. Uh, there's literally people just lined up outside to watch. It, it's like Endgame. I hate Endgame. I think that movie's terrible. Five star banger for me. Wow. But yeah. people love it for some reason. So okay. I, I like I would put Endgame as a three star banger because although yeah. I hate it, you know there are people that love Endgame. So you know, yeah. good on them. Again, I have no idea why you didn't like Don't Look Up. That was a five star banger for me too. Eric. Yeah. Some, yeah. some of the stuff you don't, right, Bruce? I mean, what do you think? Neil deGrasse Tyson loves that movie. I must be completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> we're gonna get, yes, we're going to get to Neil in a second. Bruce, you're rating on Five Nights at Freddy's. Well, for, for me personally, it's three stars. I actually did enjoy it enough to give it three stars, but I agree. It is a three star banger movie, really, at heart. Um, so I'll go three stars on this one. Okay, so I stars. liked it better than uh, <laughs> The Marsh. Oh, I, I Same as The Marsh King's Daughter. <laughs> Better than, what was that? The Kill Room. I already forgot it. There you go. You already forgot it. Okay, we're done for this episode. Next week, remember, Short Term 12 is going to be our box movie. Peter Beta, I apologize. We love you, Peter Beta, and your crew, Tyler Noe and Joseph Navarro, at Middle Class Film Class. We will play those mellifluous, uh, wonderful, I don't even know if that's a a great modifier for your music. We will play your your Middle Class Film Class uh, violin. What is it? Violin? Nice Nice, beautiful sounds next week. Remember, we haven't had that musical interlude for a while here on Cinematics. Beat. But lay that beat. <laughs> exactly. We, we, you will lay that beat next week, Pete. I apologize. I promise when we do box reviews next week for, for, from Bruce Perky. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Eric Holmes will see Short Term 12. I'm the one who interviewed John Gallagher for that Short Term 12 reference. I've seen the movie. Maybe I'll do a rewatch as well. Before we go, Eric you're we're going to talk about remember there's going to be another episode this week on friday eric will be doing like a little bit of a mini recommend for a review of squealer and shot in the arm because he interviewed some of the people for squealer and shot in the arm who did you interview for squealer eric Uh, squealer i talked to uh, the director and uh well uh, the writer and the director and the the writer daniel Virgio and Andy Armstrong. Andy Armstrong uh, didn't know this until the uh, didn't know this until the interview. He's related to uh, Jesse V. Johnson. Oh, 
Very, very cool. <laughs> that, that was a fun surprise. That is so cool. And then believe, shot in the uh, arm. Yeah, shot in the arm. Uh documentary that that also comes out this weekend. Um uh, I got to interview uh director Scott Hamilton Kennedy and uh one of the producers. Um What's his name? It kind of sounds like uh, what? Oh shoot! What's his name? He did that Cosmos show. Oh, oh Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah, Neil Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Tyson. Neil deGrasse Neil, Tyson. There you Neil, go. That was good. his name. Very good. And, uh, and my, that yeah. that was uh, that got my heart running. I was like, holy crap! I'm actually doing this. This is awesome. <laughs> yes, Eric Holmes interviewed that director and the Neil deGrasse Tyson. In my 30 plus years of interviewing people, I've never had a one on one with someone so reputable and so high on the level. What, what do you think, Bruce? Have you ever interviewed someone on that that I level? Mean, you talk what? to me every week. What the hell are you talking? Yeah, exactly. Very good, Very good, Bruce. Okay, so we will see you next week. Final thoughts, Eric Holmes, before you go. Uh, go see, uh, go see Squealer. Go see Shot in the Arm. And uh, uh, you know what? Go see The Killer. That mm. that movie's rad. Oh, yeah, and go good. see Hands at Pine, but just don't expect much from that. <laughs> Bruce Perky? But enjoy everything leading up to that. Good. Bruce Perky, you? Uh, yeah. You know, we talk about Joseph Bridges a lot, and he's always right. putting reviews up on the, the page and all that stuff, or on the Cinematics group. Uh, but like a unicorn, do you ever get to hear Joseph Bridges? Oh, but never. you can hear Joseph Bridges now if you go over to the Film Vaulters doing Mitch Burns. Yeah. Because he's over there talking about his top five horror, what, uh, uh, horror psychological or psychological horror, psych, uh, insane horror people. I can't use insane. That's the wrong word. Uh, let's just say uh, mentally uh, unbalanced. There you go. That sounds good. Mentally <laughs> off off the range. <laughs> Kill people from movies. Just pull it up real quick. And I'll just read yeah, there you go. Family anyway, show. Yeah, family you show, can right? actually yeah. hear the voice behind the words. Bridges. Uh, how was yeah. the episode the, uh, from the from the film Walters? Really how good. He mentioned he mentioned uh, Asylum, which is an mm. amicus anthology from the late sixties, early seventies, I believe. And he said, no one ever talks about it. No one ever watches it. But he said, oh, probably that Bruce Perky would probably like that movie. And I'm like, yes, I like that movie. <laughs> so top that five. Is- Top five mentally ill characters in horror movies. Excellent. That's more succinct Excellent. than what we did. Yes. Excellent title from Mitch Burns. Again, you can listen to Mitch Burns and our Joseph Bridges over at the recent episode of the Film Vaulters. I will put a link in our show notes. And we are done for episode 214 of Cinematics. We'll see you next week. Have a great week watching movies. And of course, here's Claire. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining Cinematic.